Man, what a wonderful, wonderful song to segue into God's Word. Man, beautiful time of worship. Just makes me miss the fact all the more that you weren't in the sanctuary to hear it and just to feel, as Larry was talking about, you know, the presence of God. You know, it's so powerful. You know, His Word says wherever two or three are gathered in His name, that there He is uh, in the midst of thee. And He's here, and He's with you today. You know, I'm always interested in that, that song really, like I said, is a great segue into a couple of things I want to share with you this morning before we take time to receive communion. You know, Easter means uh, a lot of things to a lot of different people. I was watching the news with interest this week being, you know, uh, Easter week that there was a lot of reporters. They do that kind of, you know, uh, go out on the street and take a camera and a microphone and ask people questions and just kind of get a, you know, no second chance. You know, it's live, just like uh, this service here, um, and stick a microphone in somebody's face. And all week long, they were asking the question, you know, what is Easter or what does Easter mean to you? And I was amazed by the answers or the lack of answers, you know, that people had. Matter of fact, the answers that they gave actually reminded me of a story that I had read. It's a joke, obviously, about Easter. And it went like this. And, and again, I, I have to preface this at the beginning. It's a story. It's a joke about three blondes, okay? But you'll notice when I tell this, you know, I hate, we just live in a PC world. You got to do this stuff. That I'm not talking about a male or a female here. I'm not going to say three blonde women or three blonde men. I'm just going to say three blondes. So you're going to have to figure out who that is, okay? But it says this, three blondes, they died. And they arrived at the pearly gates of heaven because that's where everybody arrives in a joke about heaven. And Peter always meets him there. Um, he, well, it's a whole other story. And uh, St. Peter tells them that they can enter the gates only if they can answer one simple religious question. The question posed by St. Peter is the same thing that the reporters, that's why it came to mind. Uh, what is Easter? And, and I kid you not. The answer in this joke, people must have read it because this was the joke that they were, the answers that they were giving the reporters as well. The first blonde, she, re, she replies, oh, that's easy. It's a holiday in November where everyone gets together, eats turkey, and are thankful. Wrong, said Peter. You know, I'm afraid you must go to the other place. So Peter turns to the second blonde and he asks her the same question. What is Easter? And the second blonde replies, Easter is the holiday in December when we put up a nice tree, we exchange presents, and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Peter looks at the second blonde, he starts banging his head on the pearly gates in disgust. He tells her, wrong. And he says, you're gonna have to go join your friend in the other place. You're, you're not welcome in heaven. So Peter looks over his glasses, and, and I gotta say this, same thing. There's always a PC person, you know, that's going to listen to this joke and they're going to send me an email, believe it or not. I'm not kidding you. They'll send me an email and say, Pastor Mike, you won't need glasses in heaven, okay? You're not going to need this joke in heaven either, but, you know, bear with me in this, okay? These were uh, just glasses that he wore for fashion. Let's just put it that way. So he looks over the glasses and he looks at the third blonde and he asks, do you know what Easter is? And the third blonde, she just smiled. Oh, I said she. Sorry. Um, can't say that. Third blonde smiles 
confidently and looks at St. Peter in the eyes and says, I know what Easter is. And oh, really? And Peter, he responds in disbelief. Yes, Easter is the Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish celebration of Passover. Jesus and his disciples were eating at the Last Supper and Jesus was later betrayed by one of his disciples and turned over to the Romans. The Romans then took him to be crucified, ultimately where he was nailed to a cross and pierced in his side with a crown of thorns on his head. He was buried in a nearby cave, which was sealed off by a large boulder. St. Peter smiled broadly with delight. The third blonde continued, and now every year to celebrate Easter, the boulder is moved aside so that Jesus can come out. And if he sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of winter. And I'm not kidding. There's people that actually, you know, I was watching the news and probably some of you were, and you're going, I can't believe the things that people believe about the word of God or about Jesus. And really the reason is, is because they don't know the word of God. You know, there's many people in the world today that are living in fear, like I said, that are living hopeless lives because hope comes from God. See, the world can have a hope, but that hope will always disappoint. There's only one true hope that doesn't disappoint, the Bible says, and that's the hope that we place in God himself. You know, the Bible tells us that those who place their hope in God, they won't be disappointed. And yet, when you study all the events about the cross, you know, we're looking at Easter morning here, you know, and this obviously because it's a church service and we read and study the Bible regularly, as Larry mentioned in worship, you really can't appreciate Easter unless you know the events of Good Friday. You know all the things that led up to it. You, you have to understand his life, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was born into this world, lived a perfect life, never sinned, never had a bad thought. And, and the proof of it, we saw it was in the worst moment of his life. You know, when we go through tough things, you know, what's inside of us comes out. And when you study Jesus' life, the worst moment was the cross. Larry had mentioned that, and he, he sung about it in the song, that he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. And, he, and he's praying, you know, to the Father. He says, Father, he's got a prayer just like you and I. If there's any way for this suffering to not come into my life, that was his will. He said, but but yet not my will, yours be done. And so here's Jesus, you know, in the worst possible moment in human history, God, who's perfect in all of his ways, chose to go to a cross and suffer for me and you that we could be forgiven, that we could have our names, again, written in the Lamb's book of life, that we could experience and enjoy heaven one day where neither, as you read the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where disease can't touch us anymore, there'll be no more coronavirus to go around, there'll be no more people that'll be impacted to the point of death, it says there'll be no more death, no more dying, no more tears, I mean, all the tears that have been shed by people that haven't even lost a loved one, just the, you've been overcome by anxiety and fear and worry, some crying today because you've been handed a pink slip at work, there's coronavirus just buried your company. You have no idea how you're going to pay the bills next month. Life as, as you know it, it just was, was totally flipped up on its head. And maybe today, you know, some of you that, again, as I share often in this church, that only one of two things really happens when bad things happen. We either become bitter and we turn inward and we turn away from God, or we become better. 
that we see somehow, somehow that, again, only if we know the word of God, if only we listen to the words of Jesus and, and take those things to heart that, to understand that the best is still yet to be in our life, that, that everything that happens happens for a reason. We don't understand the reason most of the time. You know, people would say, well, you know, the coronavirus, you know, God's doing that. I don't know if God is doing it. What I do know about the coronavirus is that I don't believe that God brought the coronavirus against us, but I believe that God is using the coronavirus for us. You know, as I've shared in the last, you know, week, it's amazing to me, you know, again, taking the life of Joseph, which we've studied in this, is just to try to put things into perspective that, you know, what the enemy meant for evil, God turns for good. That more people are coming to Christ. Our hope today is someone listening to this and all the effort and the energy that went into putting this Easter service on would, would get a hold of your heart, that the Holy Spirit would use it, that it would, it would bring enough light there that you would say, I, I get it. My eyes have been opened. The, I've been my enlightenment of understanding that, that God sent his son to die on a cross for me because of his love for me, that God doesn't want me to spend eternity in hell. He's not trying to wreck my day. He came that I might have life. God is capitalizing. He's a capitalist. He's capitalizing on the coronavirus. He's getting our attention. And, and, and more people, I can promise you this, that will die around the world because of this coronavirus, more people will come to Christ because of it. God trumps it all the time. He's not to be defeated. He is the victorious. He's the conquering one. And so here we have Jesus on the cross. And I want you to think about this for a second because it, it really says much about what, what takes place then on, on Easter morn. That here's Jesus on the cross, sinless, the perfect sacrifice. And, and he, his perfection was in that he was both God and man. It, it could only work one way. For us to be redeemed, he had to become like us. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to be born of a virgin, and, and to live a perfect, sinless life, as we shared, you know, on Good Friday, that he could have no blemish in him. Otherwise, again, he would have had to die for his own sin. But that's why we know on Easter morn that he had no sin because death couldn't hold him down. Death couldn't keep him in the grave. And so he goes to the cross where he suffers and he dies for me and for you. And when he goes to that cross, we're reminded that he's, there's seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross. But the first one reveals his heart. And you need to know that heart today. You need to understand, you know, God's love for you. Uh, because again, it's proved out on Easter morn, but it was proven at the cross in the worst moment. Like I said, where, where the worst of mankind was, was on display for all the world to see that, that wicked men would kill an innocent man. You know, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he was beaten so badly that you wouldn't even have recognized his face. That his back, as I shared on Good Friday, he was scourged. Larry was talking about that in worship. That they took a, a whip that was probably around 18 inches long of leather straps. And it would have bone and metal fragments, you know, at the end of glass. Things that literally would have just, every time that a Roman soldier struck him, it would have just ripped the flesh off of his body. Basically just leaving him for dead. 40 stripes minus one. 
You know, as I shared, the, the Romans, they perfected torture. They knew that 40 stripes would kill a man, so they backed it off one to take him to the brink of death. And Jesus, experiencing all that, goes to the cross. And you would be thinking, you know, in that, that moment, you know, that he knows exactly what he's doing because he said it all along. He said, for this purpose, I've come into the world. I've come to die on the cross. And that the reason that he died was so that the wrath of God would be satisfied against me and you. It should be you and me that should have died on that cross. But Jesus lovingly and willingly went to that place. And as he was hanging there, like I said, you think about what would your thought be? That you have just been betrayed by one of your friends who sold you into this very moment, but it fulfilled scripture. Your, your, your best friends, your closest friends, they didn't betray you like Judas, but they abandoned you. They, they left you. They forsook you. And here's Jesus all alone. And he knew it in advance. And he did it anyway. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him, the joy of pleasing the Father, the joy of purchasing my salvation and your salvation. And when he was hanging there on the cross, the very first words, they're so telling, church, of his love for me and you. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he didn't mean that they didn't understand what they were doing. They knew full well what they were doing and killing him. What they didn't understand was the enormity of what they were doing. The consequences that in killing him and then not receiving that forgiveness that he was offering was sealing your fate to be cast into outer darkness for all eternity. It's not God's plan. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But yet we see something so beautiful on the cross and it's maybe the biggest struggle that I face today and what you face today in the midst of this coronavirus. If there's a word that stands out today, you know, this Easter morning is the word surrender. Is that what we've learned over the last, you know, month is that most of us are control freaks. That's hard to admit. But we have our routines and we have our schedules. We like the way that we want life to go. And then all of a sudden when that's taken from us, you know, it's easy for us to become angry. It's easy for us to become harsh. And yet you look at Jesus and it's why we need to look to Jesus and not to ourselves. Is that in this moment, here's Jesus when he has completed the work of the cross in something that we'll never understand. You know, when he cries out from the cross, you know, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you think, you know, in, we, we couldn't even humanly comprehend what was transpiring in that, that moment when, when the father turned his back on his own son so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on me and you. Again, it's, it's something that it'll be one of those mysteries that will be revealed to us one day when we see him face to face in glory. The Bible says, church, you know, we see dimly darkly now. We're not going to figure out all these things that are going on. But what we can figure out from this whole thing, and it's just what I want to share with you this morning, it's just three simple words, you know, as he said, as he said, because God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. And it's why we need to be in the word. You know, we live in such dangerous times today. You know, we're finding more and more, you know, of our young people that are, that are falling away, you know, from God, that are moving away, you know, from church. And, and I, I want if I can look this up, um, again, a friend of mine shared this and it was so interesting, you know, to me, you know, when I, when I think about obviously the fear and I shared this, you know, and my wife had asked me uh, during the sunrise service, you know, why, why I got so choked up. 
And the reason I got choked up was because, you know, as a pastor, you know, I, I got into the ministry because God called me to the ministry. If, if I could do it over again, <laughs> um, no, I, I would still do it. But, but I didn't have any idea what was in store for me. I didn't understand the amount of pain and the amount of suffering that I would go through. Some of it self-inflicted, um, but most of it not. Most of it of just trying to honor God and trying to do God's will and trying to love people in Jesus' name. And, and I was reminded in Luke's gospel, you know, about the good shepherd and how he would leave the 99 and go after the one. And I told my wife and that um, as much as, you know, I, I mean, I love technology. I love the fact that, that we can send this to you today. There's a part of me that, that grieves today. There's a part of me that hurts because there's no way to be close. I mean, we weren't created for this. This is not the ultimate plan. And I, and I worry about it because I believe for many it's going to be. And things, truths that I've known about the Bible have just become more illuminated to me today that in the last days, the love of many is going to wax cold. And, and as, a, as a pastor trying to figure out how do I stay connected to our church, what do we do? And, and realizing there's nothing I can do. It's like trying to grab water. You know, the beauty of the church was that it came together. That the early church, they met daily from house to house. It wasn't just a Sunday or a Wednesday or occasionally or Easter. We call them CEO, you know, Christmas and Easter only, you know, uh, believers. No, it was, it was a way of life. And, and, and I, I have this sense in my spirit and I pray to God that I am wrong. But I believe not so many of the older generation, my age and above, but the younger generation is seeing this, this technological advancement as the means then of, of serving God. So instead of being sacrificial, instead of suffering at all, then now we just do it you know, from the luxury of our own home. We'll do it in our pajamas. We won't even get out of bed. Um, and there's just a danger, like I said, and, and not to put a damper, you know, on Easter, but it, it's just a, a, the, the pain that, that I feel in, in this today. And I'm so grateful to God that when I think about, you know, from the cross, you know, that here's Jesus, you know, asking for forgiveness because we don't know what we do. And, and so much of our lives, we think that we do. And like I said, to see, and my friend shared this, it wasn't anything that, that I'd shared, you know, what happens when life gets hard? Because I'm watching it happen with a younger generation. And he basically said this, he said, there's a growing number of millennials, you know, 20 to 40 year olds in the country who are leaving the Christian faith. And he, and he called it for this reason, moralistic therapeutic deism. And, and it's not difficult to explain, but I want you to think about this. So to break the words down, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, you know, it's the belief that, you know, in right and wrong, you know, good and bad. And, there, and there's, there's so much about our younger generation that is, it is denying in the sense just what God's word says and just goes, you know, what's more important is that I'm moral, that I'm ethical, and that I'm good. So basically it's, you know, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, and it's really just to be kind to each other. So don't worry about what the other person believes. And you go, and there's something so backwards in that because we have to understand that the apostles, they died for the Christian faith. It wasn't what you believe is okay, what I believe is okay, all roads lead to heaven. The key is just let everybody think what they want to think. No, Jesus had made it clear that there was only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved. It's why when you think about, you know, worshiping Jesus today, 
You know, that <laughs> he's alive. He, he's the only of all the world religions. He's the only founder, the only leader who is alive today, who's not buried in a tomb someplace. You know, the story was told of a, of a, a Muslim who in Egypt uh, came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior and Lord. And when he did so, his family became extremely angry and his friends, and they asked him, they said, you know, you must explain to us, you know, why you would forsake the teachings of Islam and commit yourself to, to Jesus the Christ. What would compel you to do such a thing? And he told his family and his friends, he said, it's easy. He said, if you were walking down a road and you came to a fork in the road and there was on one side, you know, there's two men, one of them's dead and one of them's alive. He goes, which one would you ask for directions? And he goes, it's that simple. There's only one who is alive today. That's what Easter is all about, church, that he's alive, that he has risen just as he said. Those aren't just the sayings. And so my fear is that, you know, we have a generation that's going, well, it's just important that you're moral and that you're ethical. Just be kind. Let everybody believe what they want to believe. But we need religion, though. And that's where the second aspect of this therapeutic comes in, because therapy, obviously, you know, you understand, you know, the word that you're doing this for therapeutic reasons. The reason that you have a religious belief or understanding is that you believe that if you do this, and a lot of people believe it, if you do this, God will do that. People will say, well, I go to church because then if I go to church, God owes me. <laughs> like, you know, okay, I went to church today and people say, well, I prayed today. I went to church. I gave, I served, you know, whatever it was. And they feel it's therapeutic. So religion is just a therapy in that sense for them to feel good about themselves, which is, like I said, we would say is the antithesis of what Christianity is. You know, it isn't so much about us feeling good about ourselves. You know, it's about us worshiping God. Even if God sent us to hell, you know, as Job said, you know, that God is worthy to be praised. That it's not about me. It's not about, as we see in our world today, victimization. It's about the true worship of God, recognizing him for who he is, that he's worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor and having our eyes open to that. And the therapy, you know, if there's something therapeutic in that is being healed by God, by the blood of the lamb, which we're going to celebrate in just a few moments here. Receiving communion together, understanding that his body was broken for me, that his blood was shed for me and for you so that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be born again. And you talk about the greatest therapy, you know, I, I mean, talk to anybody and for the most part, and they'd go, man, if I could have a do-over in my life, everybody at some point has wanted a do-over. And what we understand about God, he's not just the God of the second chance. I mean, I can look around here and go, guys, how many chances have we had? The third, the fourth, the fifth. That's the beauty of God. Where sin abounds, the Bible says grace, what? All the more. It's overwhelming. And then the, the last part of that, you know, is deism. And this is the most dangerous thing. You know, deism is just simply the belief that God is real, but he's impersonal. So we have a whole generation that's growing up. You know, and you think about, put those, again, those words together, moralistic, therapeutic deism, who's just believing, yeah, there's a God out there, but he's not really active, you know, in our lives. He's not really, you know, wanting to do something. He doesn't really have a purpose or a call on my life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, the book of Ephesians says, before Jesus, 
ascended back into heaven. It says that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And it says, and he led captivity captive. Those up to the point of the cross, the Bible says, were kept in a place called Abraham's bosom. It was a holding place. It wasn't hell, but it wasn't heaven. And they were there until Jesus then rose again. And when he went back to heaven, he took them with him. Now opening the door for any of us who follow, if we were to pass away, if we were to die, the Bible says it's really just sleep. But if we were, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to go immediately into the presence of God. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, where the world is at today, and I think about, you know, the, a generation that might be walking away from God and missing it, it brings me to the place then all the more important that we understand the message of the gospel, that we understand the hope of Easter. You know, we've titled the message many times throughout the years, Easter changes everything, because it does. Because of the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price. And then on the cross, the last statement that he made, which is so amazing to me. See, yeah, he was crucified. He was killed at the hands of the Roman soldiers. And because the Jewish authorities wanted him dead. But Jesus said himself, he never was out of control. There's a difference. Jesus was in complete control, but living in complete surrender. And it's so important that we understand this. Because that's the key today of Easter for me and you. It isn't about being in control. And that's one of the things that this coronavirus has stripped away from all of us is that sense that, you know what, I'm not in control and you're not in control. And guess what? It's okay because God is in control. And from the cross, Jesus' last words, he said, Father, after he'd done it all, after he had been, had the father turn his back on his son when he became sin for me and you, and he had completed the work that he, that he came to do on this earth by dying on that cross, he said, Father, and Larry was talking about it in worship, that he, he took that sour, that sour wine, that vinegar, not, not an anesthetic to, or excuse me, uh, anesthetic, what do I want to say? Anesthesia, that's what I want, to numb the pain. He just was parched, that he could, he was, his mouth was dry. And so he took that sour wine and then he spoke. And he said, it is finished. Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. It says, and then he bowed his head and he died. No one took his life. He surrendered it. He surrendered all throughout his life. And the Bible says, because he did that, in the book of Philippians, it says, and God gave him a name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And so today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you to think about that word, you know, surrender for a second. Because that's what it is to become a believer, a follower of Christ, is surrender to him, is to surrender your heart to him. And if you've never done that before, I want to invite you before we go today, because you've learned this, this month, I guarantee you, we all have, I'm not in control. And, and maybe that's, you're struggling today. And maybe you're not struggling with, you know, the control of giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's just you're struggling with control of some area of your life. You're trying to control your marriage or you're trying to control your kids. You're trying to control, you know, your workplace. You're trying to control, you know, a habit or you're trying to control this and, and it's killing you. There's an invitation 
from God. There's a model that we find when we look at Jesus' life and we follow him. It's a life of continual surrender. Yes, we do it first and foremost the day that we open our heart to him. And if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. That you go, Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. You can make that your prayer. You can pray. You can say, Jesus, I, I recognize that I've tried to control my life. And today I want to surrender control to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my life and to cleanse me and wash me and to make me a new creation where old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And then, Lord, I'm asking you not just to come into my life, but, but to give me the strength and the power that comes from you to live the life that you have for me. And the Bible says if, if you will believe in your heart and you'll profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says thou shalt be saved. It's that simple of a prayer. And yet, you know, again, for the most part, those listening today, watching from home, you're a believer. But surrender isn't a one-time deal. Today is a great opportunity for all of us to surrender afresh. The invitation, obviously, in that first, you know, Easter morning was, you know, come, come to Jesus. And then once they come to Jesus, then he said, go tell the world. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, and teach them all that I've commanded you. And he said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Unless people, you know, hear the gospel from you and I, they'll never be able to come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, what I'm going to invite you to do is if you have those elements at home, um, we're going to worship in song is that you would simply take those elements now that you'd get them out and that you would sit them before you. And then first you'd take that, whether it's a bread or a cracker, whatever it is that for you would symbolize his body is that do something that you can literally break in your hand, that you can break it. Even if it's just a small cracker, that you have this sense that it, his body was broken for you, that it would be personal. You know, I had a gentleman stop me after the uh, sunrise service and he said, you know, Pastor Mike, you know what I'm always reminded of today and on Easter morning? He goes, if I was the only person who ever lived and he had tears in his eye, he goes, Jesus would have died for me. Jesus would have come for me. And I said, man, what a great, what a great message, Matthew. What a great word. And it's so true. Church, he would have come for you if you were the only person, but he came for the whole world. That's the beauty of it. And then take that cup. And as you do, be reminded that he shed his blood. Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There had to be the shedding of blood. It wasn't just dying. It was the shedding of blood. And he shed blood tremendously for me and for you. And to know that because of that, we, can ha we have proof today, just as he said, that our sins are forgiven. That our name is written in the Lamb's book of life that he's with us always, even to the end of the age. If we pray anything in his name, he said that he will answer. Because he said, we can bank on the word of God. And so receive communion today. Do it with joy, knowing that he is risen, just as he said. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we look forward to just this moment where, again, we get to receive communion Lord, how 
we, the worship team and myself and our sound guys, we, we would love so much for everybody to be here in this sanctuary with us, to be able to share this moment together. Because, Lord, that's the way you designed it to be. But yet, Lord, even as you told your disciples, you said, I'm not going to partake of this again until I, I receive it in the kingdom. That, uh, Lord, even though we're separated today, we're still united in spirit, as Larry was mentioning earlier. And I thank you for that. Thank you that your blood, Lord, is what makes us family. And it's your blood that, Lord, will keep us together for all eternity. It's not that we went searching for you, but, Lord, that you came from heaven searching for us. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we recognize that today. I pray that, Lord, we enjoy this moment with you and, Lord, experience afresh today the love and the joy and the peace of God. We thank you for it, Lord. Be glorified in this moment, Lord. Be magnified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'll say that again because it's so worthy of a second, uh, second saying. What a beautiful, beautiful worship song that was. Amen. And uh, Carla wrote that, and she wrote it for a moment like this in communion. You know, I, I wanted to, before we go, you know, I wanted to walk you through what brought us to this moment, you know, of receiving, you know, communion. You haven't done it yet at home. Um, I'll just lead you through it here in just a second, those of us that are just seated up here. But in Matthew's gospel, you know, what Easter is all about, if you recall the story there in Matthew chapter 28, it was in verses 1 through 20, and I'll just read it straight through it. It says, after the Sabbath, it says, at the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear, and it says, and great joy. And they ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and they held him by his feet and they worshiped him. What a beautiful picture. It says, And they said, and Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, as Jesus said to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came, just as he said, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And you know what, in church, it brings us, you know, to this place where, you know, as we receive communion, we do so because the Lord commanded us. You know, you think about, there's only two ordinances that make up the church. It's water baptism and communion. You know, and I love, you know, when you think about in Luke's gospel, and it's why, in one sense, I want you to know that this, is a painful moment, I know for me personally, and I, I can say this on behalf of our worship team and our sound guys that are here, because if you think about what Jesus did the night of the Last Supper, even though you're at home receiving communion, we're here, we're not really doing it together. And it's for this reason, he's one body. And he took one piece of bread. You have to understand what was doing. He took bread that was at that meal and he broke it. He broke pieces of that singular loaf of bread. He broke that off and he handed it out because he wanted them to get this picture in their, in their mind that he was one, that God was one, and that in him we would be one. So at home today, whether, you know, we're going through, obviously these are 
emblems. These were symbolic of what Jesus has done. There's a beauty, though, when we receive it here at the church because the guys that, and gals that prepare it, they're breaking one cracker, one loaf, and they're breaking up into pieces that maybe until this day, even we haven't truly appreciated that. But when you think back to that first time when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, it came from one loaf of bread. It wasn't he handed everybody an individual. He wanted them to understand the implication of it, that it was his body, one body, once and for all, broken for us, that we could know the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And so if you're at home and you haven't received communion, the way that you would do it, obviously, is like this. I'm holding a cup and, a, and the bread in my hand. Like I said, and you would take that and you, as Jesus did, he said, when you take that bread, he said, break it. You know, you hear it in the sense it snap. You know, he, no bones were broken in Jesus, but his body was broken for me and you. And that I would, I would consider that, and I wouldn't do it hastily, but that I would contemplate that, again, that he is so worthy of praise. And then take that bread. And in the same way, then he said to take the cup. After the supper, he said, this cup represents the new covenant that's in my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. He said, of many. Not everybody's going to receive Jesus, but some are. My hope is that you did today. And for those of us that have, that today would be a great celebration as we just recall, again, that his blood was shed for us. This is the proof that our, our sins are forgiven. So in every time that we receive it, we're reminded because, man, we have an enemy out there that is relentless, that wants to always point us back to our failures, where Jesus is wanting to point us ahead to what lies in store for us. He hasn't appointed us under wrath, church, but under salvation. And so then with joy, we take the cup. And for me, the greatest joy is what I just read at the end of Matthew 28 there where it says, and Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, we just received communion. I ate that, that piece of that cracker, which is part of in the sense that represents his body. I drank that cup and now it's part of me. And that's what Jesus wants me to know. And it's what he wants you to know that when you receive him into your heart, he becomes one in you. How do you separate from that? That's why you don't have to, people go, oh, is it, you know, uh, the security of the believer, you know, uh, once saved, always saved. You go, no, if you're truly saved, I mean, if you've truly opened your heart to Jesus Christ and you've received him as your Savior and Lord, you, you couldn't separate yourself from him anymore that I could now separate that cracker and that juice. It, it's part of me. And you're part of the body of Christ. And when we receive it together, we're part of one another. And that's today, you know, the thing I want you to know, you know, on behalf of you know, all of us here, you know, we love you guys and we miss you so much. And we look forward to the day when this thing will be lifted and we can come back together. You know, if you're grieving a little bit today because of that, just know we are too. Our heart aches for you. We love you. We're concerned about you. Uh, like I said, especially our young people. Man, I pray that, that God would hold you close and that you would draw close to him. He tells us that in his word. If we'll draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. You don't have to go looking for him. He's right here. He's as close as your heart. He says, I'm standing at the door of your heart. I'm knocking. But if you'll open up your heart, he says, I'll come in. He'll provide for you everything this world can and so much more. A peace that surpasses even our own understanding. God wants to fill our hearts and our minds with that today. And he can because Easter changes 
everything. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to be able to gather today, this Easter. Thank you so much for our worship team and all the effort, Lord, these last months, as they said, that to be able to do this for our church. They easily could have just done cover songs and get in and get out. And, but yet, Lord, today, even with nobody here, Lord, they still put forth the effort and the energy to create something new, to, to express the things that, God, you're doing in our hearts, that, Lord, you're alive, that our relationship with you uh, isn't like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, that everything was past tense. It was a, a distant hope. No, Jesus, we're aware that you're alive, and because you're alive, you live forevermore. And, Lord, you want to do new things, fresh things. And so, Lord, thank you for the freshness of today, even in strange times in which we live, that your word is so alive. Lord, your spirit is moving. You're still saving people. You're still healing relationships. You're still healing sickness and disease, God. Lord, I pray you draw us all close to you. And we just look forward to the day where, again, we can come together as a church family and be back together. And we do thank you for our church today. Be with them, Lord. Comfort them, strengthen them, Lord, love them as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.